Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. At the meeting point between something rigid and something in flux, we find the fulcrum. This is one of my new favorite words. It's the point where the teeter totters, the stable place that we swing from. In emotional terms, it's the place where our capacity for resilience lies in wait. At the farthest reaches of this arc are the lowest depths we're capable of enduring. And in the same motion, we discover our greatest moments. The fulcrum can be felt as our stability and courage, the thing that doesn't let us completely collapse. If we embrace our range and magnitude, then that darkness can become the very momentum that shoots us back up into the light. I'm Leslie Feist. Welcome to Pleasure Studies, a storytelling project that looks at the themes underpinning our lives. Each episode holds up multiple stories to one light to get a glimpse at the common ground that's under our common struggles. I grew up in Jordan, in Amman, the capital. Just to give you a little background here of the country that I grew up in, it's situated in the heart of the uh, Middle East, situated in a troubled region, you know, surrounded by Palestine, Israel, Syria, Iraq, and Saudi Arabia. The population of Jordan is, I would say, 60% from Palestinian origin. I myself come from Palestinian origin. Jordan is a conservative society when it comes to religion and traditions. I didn't have no choice when I was young because, you know, I would imitate my family, my friends in the neighborhood. We'd all do these uh, religious practices. I was going to the mosque five times a day. I would never miss a prayer. I'm originally from Kansas City. When you grow up on a farm, there's a whole lot of things learned. Uh, I learned it later that when I was instructing pilots, the best pilots that they have in the, in the military are all born on farms. They have early uh, hand-to-brain coordination, and that happened with me as well. A little farm place was adjacent to Fairfax Airport, and I would plan up the airplanes, and after a while, I started hanging around the hangars where they were repairing airplanes. Later, I told them that I did not want uh, any money for cleaning up the airplanes. I just wanted them to kick me up and fly some. And I got fascinated with that. So I grew up in a really small town, uh, Woodstock, Virginia. It's one of those cliches where you like wave to everyone when you're like passing to people in the streets. Um, I was in the middle of three girls. We're all a year apart. Uh, we we're somewhat close growing up. And from the outside, we were keeping a pretty good secret. It was, it was a, a lot going uh, on behind the scenes in sort of a unhappy home. When I was a kid, I was very much into art. Uh, Mom had me in every art class possible. 
So I got a scholarship to go to the Kansas City Art Institute. My dad intervened and uh, told me I was not going to art school. I was going to be an engineer. <laughs> I don't know why I took his advice, but I did. It was in, in 2004. I was 15 years old. It was a year after the uh, invasion of Iraq. We, we were five young people. Okay. And we were friends. We were always going to the same mosque and sitting with the same imam every Monday and Wednesday for two hours. After a certain prayer, we were told that we are going to witness something and we're not allowed to talk about it. He took the CD, inserted in the PC. On the CD, it was uh, written, uh, Russian hell. There was a movie and I remember there was a lot of bombings. Long bearded men wearing military outfit, shooting people, shooting with RPGs and screaming Allahu Akbar. I remember a lot of times my mom would pack up the van and we would end up going somewhere to stay the night or we were running away from my dad. This like hidden secret of having this not so perfect family became more out in the open. I remember uh, parents not wanting us to play with their kids necessarily. Um, I remember uh, scouting events uh, being canceled uh, because people did not feel comfortable with the situation happening between my mom and my dad. A person with schizophrenia can have schizophrenia and have a happy childhood. Uh, it just wasn't the case for me. I didn't quite understand what was going on until this scene where there were five soldiers were handcuffed, forced to lay down on the stomach, and there was a hole that was dug up beneath their heads. This man came with a knife holding each of the soldiers from their hair and slaughtering them, screaming, Allahu Akbar. After the video was ended, the Imam told us that this is Al-Qaeda. And it was the first time I heard about Al-Qaeda or Taliban. Having these flashbacks from that movie, this inner conflict started to appear in myself regarding Islam and religion. All religions are supposed to be peaceful. Why are we killing each other in, in the name of, of a certain religion? So after a week, I couldn't take it anymore. I had to let it out. So I told my father that this is what happened and this is what they showed us. <laughs> my father, his first reaction was, if you go to the mosque again, I'll break your legs. <laughs> you know, World War II had started and by now the Korean War is going hot and heavy and they were allowing black pilots to fly. So I applied for pilot training, served in the airport as a fighter pilot. Finished and got an aeronautical engineering degree from Arizona State University. When President Kennedy needed the black vote to beat Nixon, and he kind of didn't know how to go to the black community, a gentleman by the name of Whitney Young told the president that we don't have any blacks in science. He said, make me a black astronaut, which floored everybody. NASA didn't start until 1958, and in 59, they appointed the first seven astronauts, and and this is 1960 that this conversation happened. It's not just identity crisis. I lost the sense of belonging. 
I belong to that group. I belong to that community. I belong to that society. I just had some questions and I found no answers. Always dead end. Always there are taboos in the society that I was not allowed to even think about. At this point, I had already had some of my symptoms. When I was little, I actually uh, hallucinated this sort of shadowy figure, basically like this black shadowy smoke. And it had like this upside down exclamation point with like three dots that it would like carry around. It was very weird. and It would always come out of like the closet. My parents would always joke as if it was a ghost or something like that. I got a letter. November the 4th, 1961, asking if I wanted to go into test pilot training en route to being the first Negro astronaut. There was only 125 black pilots in the entire world at that time. I was 27 and earned an electrical engineering degree and I had, I said yes, and he announced to the world that uh, America had its first Negro astronaut. This led to the birth of a rebellion within me on the society and trying everything that was considered uh, taboo. I started hanging out with gangs, getting involved in fights and cutting myself. I was 15 years old and it lasted for three years. Fights, being drunk, blood, cutting myself, hurting others. I was carrying a knife always. I would get this instant blackout, you know, like everything is dark, I lose my vision and just start stabbing myself, scarring my arm or my stomach. Seeing blood would soothe me and calm me down. And I remember crawling into bed with my mom, even like in high school, when my dad wasn't there, I would tell her I'm just so scared because my hallucinations were so much more active at night. And at that point, I was even convinced that I was maybe possessed um, because I just wasn't educated and aware of what schizophrenia was. All the space program and all these other things, there's a way of, of them giving you the message that you're not equal. It's insidious. The, the whole thing is insidious. Okay, and so I knew full well that I wasn't wanted. Colonel Yeager, he instructed my fellow students, don't talk to him, don't drink with him, don't invite him to any of your parties, don't socialize with him in any way, and within six months, he'll quit. That didn't happen. I was called in time and time again asking me to resign and give my slot to a white guy. Now, is that racism? I mean, somebody, you walk into a room with with, 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 with your boss in there and he unfolds this piece of paper and he's got supposedly 150 names of, of qualified white guys and he says why don't you be a, a good guy and give your slot up to one of these able uh, and experienced white guys that deserve to be here you don't deserve to be here I've met a guy who I owe him everything his name is Nasif Nasif was the first person who ever took me on a hike and introduced me to hiking. Back then, when I went on one of my first ever hike, I was with Nasif and another friend. It was this canyon where there's a lot of water, swimming and trekking and climbing and overcoming obstacles. 
So I went back home and I was reflecting on that day. I'm like, wow, it's the first time that I feel alive with every sense that word holds, you know, like I really feel alive. This is where the addiction started. We'd go on a hike every weekend, uh, two days, me, Nasif and Walid. Then I decided to drop out of university, uh, which I did, and uh, just in order to spend more time in a natural setting where there is only water, desert, or even green sometimes. <laughs> Feeling this uh, inner peace that I couldn't explain back then. Why do I feel peaceful here? but why I don't feel the same feeling uh, with my family, with my friends, or when I'm home. For me, education and astronomy, astrophysics was my escape from very much turmoil. When I went into high school, I realized that I needed to work really hard to get out of a really shitty situation at home. And I really fell in love with astronomy. Everything was working quite well until the president was assassinated. And when the president was assassinated, it politically changed my career. There was no urge at that time for Johnson or Nixon, who came later, to do anything about a black astronaut. The president Johnson under pressure, he decided that he was going to go along with this astronaut thing, but he was not going to use me because I was a Kennedy guy. So he wanted his own black astronaut. He appointed a gentleman by the name of Robert Lawrence to, in, in essence, replace me in the, in the public view. And of course, uh, Bob got killed in training. From there on, I focused all my energy to this outdoor life, which led me to get this job with Mercy Corps. Mercy Corps is an is a American NGO that operates in 48 countries around the world. It operates in Jordan as well. They do a lot of psychosocial support projects for young people. They have uh, projects that works with refugees and uh, so on. I was that nerd in high school. I was part of the Virginia Aerospace Science Technology Scholars where I went to NASA Langley Research Center. I was a part of the Paul Starf Search Collaboratory, and I went to the Green Bank Telescope. This was the best day of my life. Uh, so myself and a fellow researcher, we were analyzing these different uh, pulsar plots. We were noticing that the plots were looking very probable to be a pulsar. So with pulsars, think of them as lighthouses out in space that spin very fast, same as like your kitchen blender. And they can be used very similarly to satellites for being able to navigate an interstellar GPS system for future space exploration. I remember sitting at like the control center in the, in the Green Bank Telescope I'm sweating, I'm nervous. When the confirmation plot came in, my heart stopped. I could hardly breathe and I like started screaming. I even threw my shoes, I was just so happy. And that's probably the happiest I've ever been.
I left the military in 66. Had to be acclimated to civilian life, and I went to work for IBM Corporation on the side of sort of a lot of companies. And then I went into uh, the real estate business. I was the only African-American uh, building here in Denver, and, but I was building all over the suburbs and hundreds of condominiums and apartment buildings. I go around at the end of the day to my construction sites and I pick up all the metal that had been tossed out and thrown away and the pieces of it. I'd put it in the back of my Mercedes and I'd go home and on the weekends I would weld these things together, making art. Our first black lieutenant governor here in Colorado saw some of the art. He, he bought three of the little pieces and he asked me to do a sculpture of him to go into the Capitol building. And of course, I had never sculpted before, so I had no idea uh, what the world he was talking about and why he would ask me to even do it. In the African-American community, there was nobody recording any of the African-American accomplishments in America. You couldn't go to a museum or an art gallery or any public space and see an image of any black person anywhere. He talked me into giving up all of my other companies and I went back to the University of Denver and got a master's degree in sculpture. <laughs> I was really lucky to have found my passion at the age of 17. And after that, my life was really never the same. After that summer, that October, I ended up going to Russia to represent the United States in the International Space Olympics. Uh, I was chatting with the country director of Mexico, and he offered me the job. Uh, we've got this project that we're writing right now, and it's about using nature to deliver psychosocial support for young people. My manager back then gave me the space of creativity. She said, do whatever you want. Uh, it's your program. And this is when we started establishing the adventure program. That was an art foundry here when I first started. And I took my first sculpture that I had made and I asked them to cast it for me. They charged me all this extra money for casting. And I, I didn't know the difference. I went on and paid for it. And then I brought another piece to the guy that cast for me. And he says, uh, he says to me, you know, don't bring any more art here for us to cast because we don't like casting nigger art. You know, well, I was astounded. So what I did, I went to the bank, and I bought enough money to open my own foundry. And I've had my own foundry now for 40 years because uh, I would never walk into a, a foundry and hear those words again. I remember there was a math class. I'm, like, taking notes. The professor is doing some math equations on the blackboard. I look down next to my hand, and there's this humongous spider. I jump up, I startled, kind of make a bit of a scene. At that moment, I didn't think of it initially as, oh, this is one of the hallucinations I have. That's actually something very common for me to hallucinate, even to this day. I ended up, you know, interrupting the lesson a bit, changed seats, and I was mortified because when I was telling people that it was a spider, they kind of looked around and they kind of had this like, what's she talking about type of look. I was so embarrassed that I never went back to that math class. I ended up just dropping the class. I didn't get any treatment uh, for my schizophrenia in high school. It actually took uh, after a suicide attempt 
uh, eight months after a suicide attempt, my freshman year of college, for me uh, to finally get the medical help that I needed. And it was because I just, at that point, I did not have any other options. The program would approach young people who had experienced traumas or been in extreme situations. For example, we've got Syrian kids who are refugees. They've lost either their family, relatives, close friends. Some young people had witnessed death and blood and fear, and it led them to be trapped in a survival mode. The program is three months, consists of 24 sessions. We go on hikes, rock climbing, we camp outdoors. There's a lot of storytelling that happens. And uh, by the end of these three months, the young people are asked to run a community project that assign an issue in the community, and they work on solving that issue, which in return helps them reconnecting back to the community and leaving a positive imprint. State of Colorado had given me several commissions to do that had to do with African Americans coming west. Uh, the National Park Service gave me five of the large-scale African Americans memorials to do. Next thing you know, I'm in 25 galleries around the country, showing every place in Lincoln Center in New York and Smithsonian and all these big museums and stuff. And then the memorials kept pouring in. I ended up doing 129 memorials and public art pieces around the country. Young people build the trust between themselves, especially Syrians and Jordanians. It's not just a program that ends. We are creating an everlasting impact because we're helping young people to establish these bridges between themselves. So for seven years, I've focused and dedicated myself on uh, radio astronomy. I often say, just because I hallucinate isn't something to be afraid or scared of me about. We all see, hear, and feel things uh, when we're dreaming. I'm just someone who cannot wake up from my nightmares. I want to help with creating a world that we aren't seen as monsters. We aren't seen as dangerous. The only emotional part in having anything to do with space I had gone into the military to spend 30 years in the military, and I, you know, and I love flying. <clears throat> I love what I was doing. But somebody took that away from me, okay? Never uh, did I sit down and go, oh, I wish I'd gone into space. No. I, I left the military, and my next venture was trying to figure out what can I do uh, that could contribute to something. Somebody told me, find something you can do uh, 24 hours a day and never get tired, and then go do it. And, and so that was my mantra, and that's the life that I lead. And so I was never emotional about it. I was never, I didn't have any dreams of God, if I'd have gone up there, what would have happened? Or how much more public exposure or adulation I would have gotten, or just seeing the earth from them. I and I saw enough of the earth, I got high enough to see the curvature of the earth out of the atmosphere, and just in my regular test flying. Well, I didn't need to go into space to see that the Earth was round and to see this big, beautiful blue blanket that encapsulates the Earth, which we call the atmosphere, uh, you know, and I, I did that. I didn't emote. I didn't, because I was too busy getting things done. Uh, 
Uh, this is Ed Dwight. I'm a, a sculptor. Of, uh, I've got a peppered background of, uh, of, of being en route to being the first Negro astronaut. Kind of partly my claim to fame, but, but that's who I am. My name is Mundar Altiti. I'm, I come from Jordan. I'm 30 years old. I work for Mercy Corps. We're running a program that utilizes outdoor sports to deliver psychosocial supports for young people. Hi, my name is Cecilia Miguel. I'm a mental health activist, radio astronomer, and a founder of the nonprofit Students with Schizophrenia. I also happen to be someone who has a diagnosis of schizophrenia. Get Not High, Get Not Low was produced by Robbie Lackertz. Special thanks to Cecilia Magau, Ed Dwight, and Monther Altiti for telling us their stories. Score by Todd Dalhoff, and the theme was played by Tony Shear. Pleasure Studies is executive produced by Leslie Feist, that's me, and Robbie Lackertz. Additional contributions from Andrew Whiteman and Elizabeth Barker, and is presented by Irios and Talkhouse. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.